0: And for another episode of the Cycling Tips podcast, I'm Abby Mickey. I'm joined by James Wong, technical extraordinaire. James? Hi, Abby. That's a very fuzzy microphone you've got.
1: It is, it is. I'm trying something different to cut down on some of the the wind noise stuff when I'm recording other things, and I'm checking to see if this works a little better than the little foam cap that I had.
0: It kind of looks like you're talking into a hedgehog.
1: Uh, Kaylee and I refer to this as the dead rat.
0: Ooh, well, my <laughs> mentally image a lot I like, I like Hedgehog better.
1: better. <laughs> I like Hedgehog better.
0: David Everett and how's it going today? Bloomin' you you, giving away my full name. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I like, what I've noticed over the past couple of weeks, or even when Kaylee's here, you ask questions which is referring to people looking at stuff, which isn't ideal for a podcast, is it? So like, James, I see you have a furry. Microphone <laughs>
0: <laughs> To be fair If people wanted to check out What it is we're referring to When we do these intros They can watch the YouTube video That goes along with this podcast And is on the Cycling Tips YouTube channel
2: Well well said Ab
0: Speaking of seeing things Ronan got a haircut
3: I got a haircut I, I, also, I also got a scratch card That won me 5 euros And wow. I, I got a, a booking For a vaccination as well against the coronavirus
0: feel like that's the best one of the three dane cash how are you doing this fine monday
4: yeah i'm doing well thanks Uh, i've already had my first shot so in in a way i feel like i too have won a lottery uh but i I don't have five euros in my pocket or anything like that
0: All right, so we got a ton to talk about today. We got the Tour of Romandy, Elsa Jacobs, and then we're going to do a little bit of a Giro preview, everything you need to know ahead of the Giro, which starts on Saturday. Before we dive into the news, I want to learn a little bit about Continental. Shadi, what do you know about Continental that we might not?
2: Continental has long been the tier choice for pro teams. At this year's Giro, no less than six World Tour teams will ride Continental tyres. Arkea Samsek, Bahrain Victorious, in brackets we will possibly see, Group Armour Francis de Jour, Ineos Grenadiers, Movie Star and Intermarche wanty gobert Matiro, however you pronounce their final name. It's just far too long, that one. They're all riding them. Most will be running tubulars with the Continental Competition being the tyre of choice, right? And then it says in brackets, shoddy insert. Any experience you've had with this tyre? I've had plenty of experience with uh, the competition, but my personal choice when I was racing was the attack and force. We'll be watching closely to see whether anyone chooses to run clinchers like the GP 5000s or even the tubeless ones with the GP5000TL. Whichever of the tyres the teams choose to run, they'll be relying on Continental's legendary quality combined with their 100 years plus of bicycle tyre experience. The same experience goes into the tyres available to us mere mortal cyclists who aren't racing the Giro but still want the same benefits. Thank you to... I love how you've spelt Continental for me here, Ab. Continental or Continental <laughs> for supporting this week's episode and every episode this year. That was
0: James. That was James. We're just really trying to get into the groove of saying Continental.
1: Continental.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: We've, o- we've only been doing these ads now for five months and we're still <laughs> trying to get used to saying Continental. It's been that long? It's, I mean, we started at the beginning of the year, right? <laughs>
0: We started you, I, at the bottom, now we're here, which was the absolute best tweet of the weekend by Ineos <laughs> Grenadiers.
2: I've got to say, I'm gutted not to be going to the Giro start to check out all the tech because it is amazing how many people like do use the Continental competition. And uh, it's not even just teams that, that who are sponsored by him. You sort of check out the, well, a lot of teams, especially the the world tour teams who aren't supposed to be riding them do seem to use them for quite a few stages. Isn't that right,
1: James? Lots of Sharpie out there.
2: Hell of a lot of Sharpie.
0: Well, we have actually not that much racing to talk about, but the Tour of Romandie did happen over the weekend. I'm curious, Dane, what happened at the Tour of Romandie?
4: Yeah, a couple things happen. A couple noteworthy things happen. Maybe we start outside of the GC conversation first, uh, because Peter Sagan took a stage win in the race, his second victory of the year, and uh, I think he's he's showing that he's uh, he's still got something. I don't know if he's still I don't know if he still got it, but this is now his second win in a two month span, uh, and he's going to be headed to the Giro next week. So I think we're going to see Peter Sagan continuing to win races. He was really not. Uh, quite the classics contender he wanted to be this year but of course he had his his offseason was really derailed by uh, COVID and so I don't know how much we can take out of his performances throughout the classics this year but we've now seen him win uh, some nice some nice races I mean the Tour de Romney is not a grand tour but it's there was some decent competition there he won the uh, he won stage one in Martigny beat uh, Sonny Cobrelli and a fast finishing Patrick Bevin Uh, nice race from the New Zealander before he left the race um, yeah, Peter Sagan. So if you're a Peter Sagan fan, some promising things from him in the stage races this year, uh, this and, and the Volta Catalunya, even if not much from the, from the classics. Other, other stage-related things, uh, Rowan Dennis also won a stage, by the way, and, and uh, looked pretty good in this race, riding in support of his teammates, one of whom was Gary Thomas, who looked like he might have a good shot at winning stage four, which was the, I think you'd call it the queen stage. They finished at a ski station. Uh, quite a hard finishing climb on the, the penultimate stage here. And uh, Gary Thomas, Mike Woods, entered the finish together side by side riding in the rain. It was really rough weather all week in Switzerland. And, uh, you know, maybe Mike Woods wins this sprint anyway. But when they got out of the saddle, Gary Thomas kind of lost his, lost his grip on the handlebars, his very wet handlebars, and just, I mean, he hit the deck pretty hard in a pretty rough spot. I mean, right before the finish line. Uh, Woods cruised to the win and the race lead while Thomas scrambled to get back up on the bike actually finished third was passed uh, before the finish uh, ended up taking third on the day Thomas I think uh, handled it about as well as anybody could have handled a a embarrassing frustrating crash like that Uh, ended up yeah kind of making fun of himself on social media within a few minutes so good on Gary Thomas for well first of all for not hurting himself for having, you know, not, not really injured himself and having the presence of mind to be, yeah, have some fun with it.
2: Dane, he did far from handle it well. Yeah, he, he didn't handle it well at all. Boom. Oh,
4: well said, Dave. <laughs> Very excellent job there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I
0: mean, he did say his hand went numb when he tried to shift his hand slipped off the bar and I mean, just lost control of the front of his bike for a second. I thought we were going to see a little bit of a froom action with him running with his bike um probably would have been quicker than him getting so. back on his bike although with the wetness of the roads i don't know how much better that would have gone running on cleats on wet roads on, in a very high mountain mountainous area where there's possibly you know a little bit of slickness going on so
4: yeah i also thought i was wondering why he took a long time i mean and For not being injured, it did take him a little bit longer to get back on the bike and cross the line than he would have thought. Ben O'Connor passed him. He finished uh, 21 seconds behind Woods after hitting the deck like he did. But finished up, I mean, that stage, he was only 11 seconds behind Mike Woods with a final TT to close out the race. So assuming he's not hurt, which he really uh, apparently wasn't, Thomas was still the favorite to take the overall title. And he delivered uh, on that final stage. And took The overall win pretty cleanly, I mean, pretty comfortably in the end. Remy Cavagna took the final stage, but Garen Thomas finished third and took the overall win ahead of a teammate for this, you know, for the second time in a few weeks. We've seen the NEOS Grenadiers, even, even with Th- uh, Thomas's, so, you know, somewhat yeah, embarrassing crash there, he still won the race with a teammate in second overall. It was still a race that the NEOS Grenadiers just, I mean, they bossed it. Uh, Rowan Dennis, after taking that stage in the, in the beginning of the race, rode on support duty for his teammates. And once again, just another really nice race from the NEOS Grenadiers that has shown, I think, ahead of the tour. I mean, we're all going to be thinking about the Giro here coming up, but just so many of this team's, I don't know if we want to, they're not support riders, really. They're sort of, who knows? I mean, who knows what what to call Richie Port? He was third at the Tour de France last year. So I don't think it's fair to call him a support rider. Uh, And they've got so many riders like him with, with Adam Yates. Uh, other riders who you who know can do big things in the Grand Tours, and they've all proven to be in great form this year. So ahead of the Tour de France, we've seen big things from Gary Thomas. We've seen big things from Yates, big things from Port. Uh, Dennis has been a really strong teammate throughout the, the early goings of the year. So I know we're all talking about Pogaccio and Roglic ahead of the Tour this year, but I mean, the a Grenadiers have looked really good in the, in the week-long stage races. And I think they've really proven that they've got collective firepower that maybe the other teams out there don't have. We haven't really seen this kind of collective firepower from from those rivals, from the Yumbo Vismas or the, the UAE team members. Obviously, we've seen big things from from uh, Pogacar and Brendan McNulty look good uh, two weeks ago, but nobody has had quite the collective firepower of Thomas, Port, Yates, etc. That we've seen from the Ineos Grenadiers.
0: Ineos is like Movistar if they actually. Got the best riders. They come with this cluster of incredible GC riders who you look at the list and you'd think, oh, they are going to absolutely sweep this race. Movistar, obviously we've talked at length about, uh, how they have really failed to do that with their three prong attack that they usually approach races with. But I feel Ineos Grenadiers, they have this incredible collection of GC riders that, if they race that them in a specific way, there's a reason that they've won so many grand tours at this point, and they're only. It looks like they're only getting better as far as bringing in the talent. I mean, bringing in Adam Yates and elevating Teo Gagenhart. and so he's maybe not up there with Garrett Thomas, but getting closer and is a, is a much younger rider. So, really interesting development from them that that Garrett Thomas is back to this winning level. Is it Grand Tour level of winning? We don't know yet, but it was his first win since winning the Tour de France.
3: A lot's been made of that as well. That it, it is his first win since the Tour. Uh, and, you know, in that time he's been, sec- I think he said it himself in his interview, Garrett Thomas has been second at the, at the Tour de France and has had numerous other results and of course got wiped out. At the Giro by a stray beat on last year, who knows what he would have went on to do there. But uh, first of all, I think it's it's not too bad of a problem to have if your last victory is is the Tour de France. I wish I had had <laughs> that problem at some point. Uh, but uh, also, you know, when was the last time we've seen? A team you know quite so dominant as any of us have been in the past four weeks you know they they had first second and third on gc at Catalunya. they had first second and third on the opening time trial of romandy and then they had first and second on on gc there as well and you know they they we heard a lot last year about this new style of racing they were going to bring into 2021 and you know it still remains to be seen whether we'll see that at the Tour de France when you know when it really really matters to, to any Oscar of the years but in terms of you know racing action and performances so far it's it's hard to see anybody matching the this type of racing that they that they have brought into this season.
4: I think it'd be really interesting to see with, with the firepower that you've just kind of detailed with, with all of that strength as a team I think this year at the Tour we're really going to see how much can a strong team do for you? Because last year, we all talked about Jumbo Visma and, and uh, Ineos all day going into the Tour, thinking that that was going to be the big battle. And then the, the, the rider who kind of only had a little bit of team support that nobody was really paying that much attention to was the guy who won the Tour de France. And this year, I don't think the Ineos Grenadiers have that top flight one guy who's, who's going to be nearly favored to beat Roglic or Pogatcher. And, and yet they may have the strongest team. So we're going to see how much can that actually do for you because people have talked about for years you know, that, that uh, Froome's tour. There were a lot of people, not everybody, there were a lot of people who, who would say things like, well, Froome only, only wins this many tours because of his team. And I, I never really bought into that. I think Froome himself at his best really was the best in the world. You know, Maybe wins three tours and not four or something without that team. But uh, I, I think that he was always the, the best guy there. This show it's not going to be that way but they might have the best team. And so I think we're going to get an interesting uh, look at, well, how much can that do for you? Having the best team, but not the best rider. What does that do for you at the Tour de France? And we might actually get a chance to see, can that actually elevate you ahead of a Pogaccia and a Roglic in this kind of form this year?
3: And that, that's super exciting to think about. You know, if we've got two standout riders like Roglic and Pogaccia, and then a, a standout team like any of us who just have to go on the attack with multiple different riders and, and try and use their, their numbers, that, that sounds like the kind of Tour de France we've been waiting for for a a while obviously last year's was was fantastic um but you know theoretically I guess that you know we could we could look forward to something even better this summer.
0: That's exactly what uh the the Ineos Grenadiers have been racing like also they've been racing a little bit more aggressive and Dave Brailsford said that the the team wanted to be more aggressive based on how fans reacted to the Giro and I think if they take a team with so many favorites, it could mean that, that, that they are planning to follow through on what was said on this very podcast, as Kaylee likes to point out every time it's brought up.
3: Or it could backfire. Movie stars did.
0: It, it absolutely could. They've done it so many times, so many times.
4: Either way, the, the viewers win because it'll be entertaining whether you know whether it blows up on their face and, and there's strife and drama or you know or attacks that actually work out it'll be entertaining so it'll be good
0: yeah
3: Dan, then, then you're a good man for words if a trident is three liters what's the word oh, for eight, eight, eight liters
4: yeah uh an, an octadent, maybe let's go with that
0: before we dive into a little bit of a jiro preview There was also a women's race this past weekend, the festival Elsa Jacobs named after the very first female world champion, less exciting than the tour of Romandy, perhaps merely because of the weather. But I believe it is important to point out that Emma Norsgaard won two stages in a row and the overall, which was her first win of the year. And then her second win of the year, something that she's kind of been banging on the door of for a while at this point. She was second six times leading up to the festival Elsa Jacobs. So really amazing to see Emma finally take a victory. And uh, the women are headed to Spain for some one days, which will be really exciting. Not much going on on the women's side of the sport. Check out the Freewheeling Podcast for a chat about why there's maybe not as many world tour stage races as... The men have. It's really a bummer.
2: Hey, hey. hey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on that note. All right. With the recent racing behind us, let's turn our attention to racing of the future. The Giro is coming up the first grand tour of the year. Dane, can you break down a couple of the key stages for us before we talk contenders?
4: Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's talk about the fact that it's a uh, compared to the tour. At least it's a more balanced, Grand Tour this year. Of course, if you were talking Grand Tours twenty years ago, you'd think this was a climber-friendly Grand Tour all the way. But there are two time trials at the start of the race and the end of the race. It's it's a race bookended by individual time trials. The race will start out in uh, Torino with a time trial and it will end in Milano with a time trial. So some opportunity there for the guys who are good against the clock to get a little bit of an advantage. But at the end of the day, only two TTS is not a lot, even if. In modern cycling, it does seem at least like a somewhat balanced route. In between your two time trials are quite a few tough climbing stages. So, first off, they're gonna go like 10 days without a rest day. So, the first quote unquote week, we're gonna talk about the first week of the Giro, is actually gonna be a, almost a week and a half. Not a lot of rest there. Uh, and there are gonna be some tough stages in the early going. Stage nine in particular will be not an easy one. Uh, they're, they're gonna finish on a really tough climb. Uh, to Campo Felice, so it's not going to be the situation where you're going to kind of need to be in form for the, the second half of the race only. With that time trial and a, a tough stage nine, there's some hilly stages in the early goings as well, you're going to be need to be all uh, in form throughout the, the beginning of the race. Uh, that stage nine is going to see a little bit of gravel, by the way, in the in the finale, which is something that the Giro organizers seem to be really liking. They're, they're liking throwing the gravel into the race, and we're going to see that in particular on stage 11, which will... But yeah, not a super long stage. It's one hundred sixty-three k from uh, Perugia to Montalcino, but riders will take on thirty-five kilometers of gravel across uh, four different sections on the day, and it's also a, a tough kind of hilly stage. So maybe not a stage that's going to see giant long-range attacks on a on a really long finishing climb, but it's going to be a really tough day. That, that who knows what's going to happen there. So I would would definitely watch stage eleven of the Giro uh, if if you're looking for stages a few just a few stages to watch that's got to be one of them uh, with all that gravel and then heading into kind of the latter half of the race then we're going to see the real tough climbs of course the, the biggest one the one that the one that's going to be maybe the most decisive certainly the most difficult will be the Monte Zoncalon which is maybe I, I think it's up there with the Alto d'Angla for for hardest climb in the world tour uh, Zoncalon is going to be on stage 14 and I, who knows what's going to happen there as well but we've seen in the past some really Interesting battles. It's just one of those climbs where the the thing is so steep that it's it, riders really reach a standstill. I mean it's it's hard to do anything on a climb like that. And it's impossible to hide behind teammates on a climb like that as well. I mean you can have a really strong team full of guys who are pulling you up a climb, but when you're going, you know, five miles an hour, drafting is not really very useful. So the Zonkalon on stage fourteen will be a really key stage there. Stage Dane, sixteen has some really tough Dane, Dane, yeah.
2: Dane. Stop a second. Can I just get you to stay at that stage, finish again?
4: The Montes Uncle on.
2: Oh, I love that. It sounds like it's like uh, somebody's uncle. Uncle Montes Uncle on.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that.
4: Yeah. Mon- Monty's Uncle is who it is. Yeah.
0: Just like alongside the Angry Lou. The, exactly. Monty's Uncle,
4: angry, angry Lou. Yeah. Two of the hardest climbs in the World Tour. We have to give them, you know, names like that to, to make them seem a little bit less imposing. But they really are uh, tough climbs. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, after that stage 14 there's not going to be a whole lot of rest cuz stage 16 is is going to go over the probably the toughest set of climbs throughout the whole race. I mean, the Alganes is the toughest maybe individual climb, but stage 16 is going to take on the Chimacopi, the highest point in the race at the Paso Pordoi, which is only the penultimate climb. Then there's another climb after that. So there's going to be three really hard finishing climbs on stage 16.
0: Oh my god, that's so exciting. I used to live around there. Oh.
4: Have you have you been up any of those climbs? How hard are they?
0: Oh, man, they are they are brutal. They're fun. They're not very long, but they're fun climbs.
4: Yeah, the, each of these three climbs here, the, the Paso Fidaya, the, the Paso Porto and the Paso Giao, they're all they're Yeah, they're, they're not that long, but they're just coming back to back to back. I, that's the kind of thing where if you uh, if you're losing touch on that first climb and then you've lost touch on the second climb, you're you know, you're out of the top 30 by the time you get to the third climb. So hopefully we'll get some some action there. And, you know, looking at the teams, we'll get to the, the riders to start listening in a little while, but I don't see any one team at this race that's going to utterly dominate everybody. So hopefully that will mean some, some action, some aggression on, on these kinds of climbs. There will be a rest day after that, heading into the final week. But there won't be much rest in the final week. The, the stage 20 is, is probably the hardest stage of that final week. Um, they're going to head into Switzerland for a little bit. They're going to take on the San Bernardino Pass and the Spluga Pass, both of which are uh, quite high up, they're over two thousand meters of altitude, so we're going to get that kind of that, that's going to factor in, you know, how riders can can play at altitude, and and ditto for that that uh, stage sixteen as well. There's plenty of high altitude in this race, and that's something that we really haven't gotten a lot of in the various run up races this year. Uh, not not a whole lot of races that have gone way up into altitude, so we'll see how the our riders fare there. And then of course the race is going to close out with uh, stage twenty one, that the TT in Milan or into Milan, uh, where if you've gotten a strong lead as a climber, you're gonna at least have to defend your, 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 your lead there. And there are there's a there's a pretty strong gap, I think, between the GC contenders who are just okay time trialists and the one or two guys who are really good at it. And and that's gonna make it so that I think we've seen the last several years time trials can be very interesting on in the final stage if you have somebody who's really good at time trial. And we've got a couple of riders here who are quite good against the clock and some who aren't. And so maybe we're going to see that again, where I, I think we're not going to, be able to call this race up until the final day, assuming that assuming you know, nobody's run away with it, assuming that all the big names that we're talking about go into the race uh, stay upright. It's going to be hard to really call it before that final TT because a good time trial is going to really take a lot of time over 29K.
0: Yeah, it's a fairly long TT to finish out the race. It, it, I, I agree. I think it's going to be quite decisive. Ronan, you picked a couple stages that you thought would be fascinating
3: yeah well first of all you know two time trials they're they are obviously going to be the key stages to watch most exciting most tech you know the, the really the the only two stages to tune in for so uh if we, if we look slightly beyond those stages as I, I suppose i you know i could look towards stage 11 and, and say there there might be a little bit of excitement there with the the gravel roads and the finish and, and Mon- i'm gonna to have to ask Dane to pronounce that one again Monty- Monte
4: Zuncalan? I mean, I'm not an expert, by the way. No, this is going to no, be no, no, wrong. No, 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 uh, the, yeah.
3: the, gravel, the gravel stage before that. Stage oh, 11. Oh, right.
4: The climb to Montalcino. Is that what you're talking about?
3: Montalcino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, where C- Cadell Evans won uh, 11 years ago now, but I think anybody who can remember that stage, wet day on the Storado, the, the Stradibianchi, uh, Cadell Evans in the world champions jersey. And that was, you know, an epic stage on, on those Tuscan gravel roads in, in the pouring rain. So if we get... Anything like that again, I think uh, I think it'll be another classic edition of the Giro just from that one stage. And I think that's what everybody is hoping and praying for now is is rain on stage 11. Of, of, except the riders, of course, who, who <laughs> that's the last thing they want.
2: A lot of people remember that for Richard Port's performance as well. That's why he saw, uh, shone that he, he was possibly going to be a Grand Tour rider, but obviously, well, he has. He's got third, hasn't he, at the Tour last year? Can't take that away from him.
4: I have to watch out for, for Jai Hindley with, uh, with Evans and Port having put in strong performances on that on that stage. He's, he's the, the Australian to maybe take out the mantle this year. So I uh, wonder how he'll do.
0: Yeah, let's now that we kind of like chatted a little bit about the stages, let's get into contenders because this is a really interesting start list as far as who might walk away with the pink jersey at, at the end of this race.
4: Yeah, I think the Giro has just become this race over the past, maybe the past decade where... Because the Tour is, is so clearly the top dog in the in the you know the hierarchy of Grand Tours, the, the Giro has become a race where a lot of the big names that we see going to the Giro are riders that have question marks around them, or or they're Italians, either Italians or they're riders who are who are young and don't have a lot of experience, you know, up and comers, or maybe they're kind of veterans who are just trying to get a change of pace and, and do something different, or maybe they're coming off of injuries, uh, or maybe they're they're. Veterans who are coming off of injuries and are also Italian, like Vincenzo that they, they take all the boxes. Uh, but it's just a lot of riders with question mark. So, plenty of big names this year. Egon Bernal, maybe the, the the biggest of, of big names, former tour winner, but of course, coming off that back injury and has been saying all year that he still is having, you know, he's still feeling some of those back issues. And he's going to be leading the charge for the Ineos Grenadiers, the, the team that's trying to defend the overall title, but the, the overall title winner last year, Teo Gegenhardt, not here. So, Bernal is going to be riding for. Ineos, I think the other two top favorites going in are Simon Yates, who won the Vuelta two years ago, three years ago, uh, but hasn't done that much in the Grand Tour overall battle since then, and Remco Evenepoel, who will be riding in his very first Grand Tour, and he's only 21, uh, who last year was expected to do big things in the Grand Tours, in, in, in his first Grand Tour, but of course crashed and, and uh, suffered some serious injuries, including a broken pelvis at In Lombardia. So, all three of those riders, you know, good riders. Avenapol could be, you know, he already seems like the next big thing. But we just have question mark. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to see any one of those three win, but it wouldn't be a surprise to see any one of them, you know, off the back after a week because, yeah, uh, Bernal coming off of injury, Avenapol coming off of injury, and Yates, we saw Yates do an incredible Giro d'Italia in 2018, won three stages, and then in the final week uh, tumbled all the way outside of the top 20. So is that going to happen again, or, or are we going to see kind of the the more solid Simon Yates that we saw at the, that year's Vuelta?
3: And I think that's a, a key thing to consider here, in that in the final week, we've got three mountain stages, two mountaintop finishes, uh, the longest stage of the race, 240 kilometers, uh, starting, I think, in the same place as the stage that was, um, I was going to say righted, it. it wasn't righted, it. it was... Uh, sort of postponed, cancelled. Um, the the riders had a protest where they didn't want to ride the full stage. So let's hope it's not raining for for that stage again. But then we've also got a 30-kilometer TT, as we mentioned in the final week. So that, that final week is going to be, you know, it, it's, it's going to be make or break for for anybody's chances. But, you know, from what we've seen of Simon Yates, I think three years ago now, 2018, when he was so dominant for the opening couple of weeks, weeks of the Giro, will he, will he be... Similarly attacking in the opening weeks of this year's Giro. We've seen him in the tour of the Alps and he was, you know, second or third stage. I think he did thirty kilometers solo with, with a huge attack. And then you know re- he was really pushing on, on every stage. And will he take the same sort of tactics into this giro considering how difficult that final week is and the previous that he's had where you know he sort of paid for those efforts? And that that's that's a question mark for me with Simon Hughes. I think he is the out and out favourite given his performance in the Alps, but he does have that question mark over him. And then, you know, Remco Evenepoel, I'm a huge fan of his, but can we seriously call such a young rider who has never ridden the Grand Tour, who hasn't raced this season, and who is coming back from a serious injury, a contender for a, a Grand, you know, it just, it, it doesn't seem fair on him to start with, never, never mind actually plausible, but yeah, he, he's, he's shocked us all in the past with, with his performances. Hopefully I'm wrong in on that one.
2: I would have thought with De it would have been, Almeida is probably going to be going in as the team leader because a he is he is quite proven in uh, stage racing this season already, and secondly, Remco, as you say, we've, he's not shown anything this year. We don't know what's going on with him at all. Plus, all in all, both of them are quite young. I'm personally thinking this is this is a race suited to someone who's a lot more experienced. Young guys, as we know, um get a little bit overexcited, don't know how, not, not that they don't know how to pace themselves, but I think you need to have a, a, a grand tour or two under your belt to know that that final week's going to be savage. And Ineos don't send a shabby team ever. And you've got to say, people aren't really saying much about Bernier. You've, you've got, you've got, they're not sending him just to ride round and be ready for later on in the season. I think he's going to be a, not a quiet underdog, but he's definitely going to be there to do some some work and he knows how to Hold himself back and be ready for them final weeks, ten days, whatever it is.
4: And
3: of course, they've got Sivakov as well, who was, you know, possibly second strongest rider to Simon Yates in, in the Tour of the Alps. So, yeah, they, they've got another strong lineup, I guess.
0: I don't know. Compared to Dakonin Quickstep's team, which also includes uh, Fausto Masnada, who was just fourth at the Tour, tour de Romandie, I actually am more impressed with the lineup at Dakona Quickstep than I am at the Ineos Grenadiers lineup. I'm not super convinced by them. Civic crashes a lot. So don't know how he's going to do with, with the th- He's a really strong rider, but he he's also been known to crash a lot. It's entirely possible that they go in and they end up having to hunt for stages, which obviously didn't go bad for them last year when they had to kind of pivot at the last minute. Um, but it's, it is also possible that they've been pretty quiet about Bernal, and he could really surprise us.
4: Yeah, that Takuna Quick-Step team is really good. And, and Joe Almeida is, along with Evenapul, they're both very good at time trials, which I think could help set them apart in this race, because Bernal's not bad at time trials. He's just not great at them. Uh, and, and same with Yates. And both Almeida and Evenapul, I think, are going to have that advantage. Uh, Almeida, of course, last year finished fourth and looked good throughout the race, kind of lost a little bit in that, in that final week. But, I, yeah, I think they are going to send him in as the nominal leader. I think we're going to see the the fanfare ahead of the race from Dukunik Quickstep is going to be kind of focused on Almeida to try to take the pressure off of Evenapol. But just to kind of show how strong Evenapol is, and, and we're going to see press releases from Dukunik about Almeida as their leader. Uh, Evenapol is 4-1 to one to win the Giro with most bookies right now, which is pretty impressive for a rider who's never won a Grand Tour. Uh, that That is a... That is the kind of rider who is a top contender in the, in the eyes of the bookmakers, whereas Joe Almeida, is, he's kind of a fringe contender. So I think De Kunta quickstep loses nothing by talking about Almeida as their leader. It takes some pressure off of Venapul. Uh, but when, when it comes down to it, he's the rider that I think is uh, more likely to actually win. I think he's also just as likely to finish 50th overall, whereas Almeida may be more likely to finish 4th. Uh, I, I don't really see Almeida t- kind of doing it quite as much as he needs to to keep up with Bernal and company on the tough climbs but yeah uh, I just kind of a, a wild card we don't really know what to expect uh, but speaking of teams I think the, the, the of those three guys we talked about of the Bernal and and uh, uh, well whoever on to Kunick we want to talk about and Simon Yates I think Yates has has some question marks around his team because he doesn't go in with quite the team strength that Bernal and, and all of the and kind of Quickstep are going to have. And it'll be interesting to see what that means if he does go on the attack early on. If he gets the early lead, like he might do with all that form he's bringing into this race, what are they going to do as the race kind of wears on? And they just don't have that same amount of firepower. They've got Mikel Nieve, who's quite strong uh, on the climbs. And they've got some other good kind of ruler-type riders, guys who are good on, on hilly or flatter stages. But they do not have the high mountain firepower of, of Ineos or they couldn't quick step. And that's, that's going to be, yeah. Who knows what's going to happen with that?
0: There's three guys that actually four, I'll say there's four guys that haven't been mentioned yet. You mentioned Jai Hindley. I think he can't be overlooked at all based on how he rode last year's Giro, and coming back as the runner up to the race is definitely something that, Deserves a mention. I also feel like it's worth mentioning George Bennett, who comes in as Jumbo Visma's undisputed leader, something that he's never gone into a Grand Tour as the only leader on the team. He's always gone in second tier, and he's coming into this race as their sole contender for the general classification. Hugh Carthy is also another rider who's been kind of slowly building up to that GC position and has actually been up there in the general classifications. He was... He was up there last year at the Giro, or maybe it was 2019. So I think those are three guys that could definitely, definitely show up. It was third at the Vuelta. Third at the Vuelta, yeah. And then I guess not really in the same boat as those guys, but Dan Martin is coming in as the all-in favorite for Israel Startup Nation 2, which maybe not a favorite to win, but he always pulls out some kind of interesting moves. So all in all, it, I mean, I think it it's going to be a really exciting race. There's a couple teams that are going the Ineos Grenadiers route. I would say UAE and Jumbo Visma, especially where they're clearly sending their A squads to the tour. So they've kind of got their, they've got the rest at the Giro. Um, but those guys are, I feel like they make the most exciting races when they don't have, you know, all of the really, really strong Controllable factors at the race.
3: There's there's one other couple I want to talk about, and and that is Mikel Landa and, and peo bilbao uh You know, both with uh, Bahrain victorious. bilbao will win a stage at some point. He always wins a stage. Of the Giro. He's been won on stages of the Giro since before he went to the Giro, so uh, he's he's guaranteed to win a stage. But then you've got the fact that Landa is guaranteed to lose time in the time trial, uh, and and both of those riders are are such a gra- aggressive and attacking riders. I think they will be. You know, we've seen Peo Bilbao at the Tour and the Giro last year was, was up in GC and both of them, I think. Uh, and, and so they, they will be going for it. But in order to get a good result, they're going to have to go on, on the attack. And I think that's what's going to make it exciting.
4: Yeah, the, the Landa situation, I think, is really interesting. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a, a preview of the contenders here for the site. So keep an eye out for that later this week. And, and as I was doing some research for that, I went and looked back at Landa's various results over the past few years in the Grand Tours, we always have talked about Landa like he is a Grand Tour favorite. For the last several years, he's been not maybe the top one or two guys going into the Tour de France or whatever Grand Tour he's racing, but he's somebody that we've talked about as a potential winner. And it's really interesting if you look at his results uh, over the past several Grand Tours he's been in. He's he's been in five Grand Tours in a row now, so four tours and also a Giro thrown in there, in which he has finished inside the top seven and yet outside of the top three. He's somehow every year goes into the race as a kind of contender and does kind of well and not really any better than that. And it's really interesting. It's, it's like he kind of rides down to the competition or up to the competition just so long as he finishes somewhere between fourth and seventh.
3: And his defense, did, did he not miss the podium by one second or, or two seconds or something that the tour? It was yeah. close.
4: Yeah, that one year it was very close, but he did. He, he ended up missing, and, and I think that's that's kind of what we've seen from him is He's up there, and he'll, he'll win stages for sure because he is a really good climber on his best day. But he just has bad days. He's not a good time trialist. So this race, though, I, I think if you look at the field, it's a field where a rider who finished fourth at the Tour de France multiple times should be right up there as a potential winner. I mean, this is not we're not seeing Pogacci. we don't have Roglic here. He should be up there uh, if he can actually get over that, that issue that he constantly has of kind of riding down to whatever the competition is, having those bad days. Uh, as, 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 as impactful as those two time trials are going to be, there's not that much time trial mileage at this year's race. He should be up there with his talent. It's just, we've already seen so many times he should do things that he doesn't do. So I don't really know what to expect from him.
2: But, but it's gotta be it's like five years, 2017, since he was on a podium or something. So they've, they've got to be Bill Bowes, the man for that race by far and away for that out of the team. Plus he got second at, was it the tour de the Alps recently? So yeah, Bilbao's the man for that team. Oh, like you say, Lander,
3: Spanish time trial champion too, Bilbao, wasn't it? Oh, right. I think. Could be wrong in on that one. I'm pretty sure he's Spanish time trial champion.
4: He's also, got, uh, he's also got a bit of punch to get the kind of bonus seconds. Uh, yeah, he's definitely kind of one of those riders who's been, not under the radar, but we just don't want to talk about him that much as a, as a stage racing guy. But I think he showed at the Tour of the Alps this year that he's got that, he's got that uh, ability. He was also top 10 at uh, Bass Country, so a good team from Bahrain victorious. We'll just, we'll see if they can kind of mix it up with the very best on the, on the really hard climbs. I don't know about Bilbao or Orlando even, uh, versus a healthy Bernal. And that's the thing is we have so many question marks about the top contenders. Is Bernal healthy? Cause if Bernal comes in at a hundred percent, if Bernal is the rider that he was and the he won the tour de France, then this shouldn't be close, but who knows? We don't, we don't know if he's going to be at that level. We don't know if Evenepoel is going to be healthy. We don't know if Simon Yates is going to fall apart in the final week or, or if he's taking too much form into the beginning and then, you know, if, whether his team can even hold on. There's just so many question marks. The,
3: the one thing we do know is that the, the uh, Cycling Tips Fantasy League, it's going to be, you know, you've got somebody for every stage. Regardless if you pick a big writer at the start, you've, there's, so, there's so many contenders out there. The, uh, the angst over who you select each night is just going to be, yeah. Um, that, that, that really stresses me out, so it does.
4: And there's a lot of good stage hunters, too, not, you know, outside of the GC com, uh, conversation. There's a lot of big names. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I, think every, I think every one of these stages, there's going to be a big name to pick. Uh, we, should, we should let the listeners know. You can head on over to cyclotipscom slash fantasy to check out the competition, get ready for it coming up in a couple of days. Should be good. I, I love doing these things last year. We had uh, great fun doing our little mini-leaks and seeing how many how many minutes we could lose on a few stages to uh to me or kaylee or yeah every every so often there would be a, a big pick on a breakaway where big things would happen so should be good this year
0: i think in the conversation of stage winners we need to talk about Sagan because he's clearly coming into the race with a little bit of form and with a short tt to start it off and a couple punchy stages in the beginning could we see Sagan take pink in the beginning of this race
4: yeah, the time trial is short enough uh, that that opening time trial is the kind of length where he should be up there. And then certainly possible that he could he could do something with the, the, the jersey. Yeah,
0: I mean, he's he's definitely coming into the race with form. It is a bummer that as we kind of talked about in a later podcast, Cavendish is not on the start list for Dakota Quickstep, which means we are not going to see a legendary battle of Sagan and Cavendish as we've seen. Many years ago at this point, I was kind of hoping that we would see it again with two of the two of them riding the way that they are right now. But I think as far as sprinters go, I mean, there's a couple really good ones between Sagan and Viviani. Um,
4: I think Caleb Ewan's got to be the guy that that's going to be the favorite for the sprints. He's he's head and shoulders above the rest of the competition in terms of the pure sprints at this race. I'm not saying he's going to win every sprint stage, but we don't have Sam Bennett here and I think it's really he's maybe second to Sam Bennett right now but there's not a lot of other riders out there who can beat Caleb Ewan in a pure sprint when he's at his best Um, there's plenty of second names though who if he's not on a good day yeah and we could see a guy like Viviani who had a rough year last year but who has won a boatload of Giro stages over the course of his career Uh, we've got other guys like like uh, Giacomo Nizzolo who has won two Giro points jerseys uh, he's been like top three in something like five thousand Giro stages over the course of his career, despite never having won. Which is a—I really hope he wins one this year because he's just—he's done it so many times that it would be—it would be pretty nice to see. There was that one year where he thought he won the final stage, and then they relegated him. And I think he even like did a—he po- did an interview and everything. It was really depressing to watch. Oh. So hopefully, Nitzola <laughs> will actually win one this year at at his home Grand Tour. Uh, you've got Fernando Gaviria, who. You know, a few years ago, we were talking about, like, the one of the best sprinters in the world, and now I don't really know what to expect from him. He's had some injuries. He crashes a lot. Um, you know, if he's healthy, he's up there, I would expect. But if he's not at his best, who knows? And then Tim Merlier is a guy to keep an eye on. He's a rider who has really shown over the past year that, that uh Alpes and Fenix is more than just Matthew Vanderpool. And he's been, I think, their most successful non-Matthew Vanderpool rider and, and even he's gotten more wins this year than Matthew Van He's won three races so far this year. And he's been up there in some, some strong competition as well. He was third at Dwars, Dwarf earlier this year. So good for Tim earlier to show that uh, that, that, that pro team is not just one rider. Um, and he'll be there as well, maybe trying to get, get in the mix.
0: And um, Dylan Grunewagen is back for his first race since the Tour of Poland incident.
4: Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. I mean, he... You could, you'd think he could kind of keep up with Ewan, challenge Ewan at his best, but we just have no idea where his form is with no racing under his belt so far this year. Um, if he wins a bunch of stages, I know he's going to be surprised because Dylan Grunewagen has been at that level. He's won Tour de France stages in the past. He's been a rider who can stick it to even the best in the world. Uh, they don't have a fully sprint-oriented team here, but they have, they have some firepower to help him out. Uh, so I think Grunewagen could definitely be up there challenging you in, in, in the sprints. Just another rider for your, for your fantasy team to, to kind of figure out which, which one you won on any given day.
2: You do wonder how much last year's crash was, has affected him, not just because, uh, well, he sent somebody else down in a big, big manner, but um, that's got to affect your big style, has it? Going into a race, you're going to be more aware of people around you than ever before, I would have thought, but, well, than before the, the situation that happened.
0: Plus some of the backlash he's gotten from the Peloton as well since that happened. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that have obviously come out in support of him, but there, But he said in an interview earlier in the year that he did get some, some hate messages from within the Peloton. So I don't know if that would affect his um, kind of aggressiveness when it comes to the sprints. I think... We've talked a lot about how sprinters, when it comes to the final, you know, couple kilometers of the race, they really forego all uh, self-preservation and kind of hurl themselves into the sprint as fast as they can. So hopefully that doesn't affect him because he's an incredible sprinter. And I think we would all hate for that to kind of take away from his ability on the bike, but he's also human. So those things can affect you.
3: I think Gordon Wiggum will be going into the Giro very much on a sort of stage by stage basis, just to get himself back into racing. I was surprised to hear him coming back at at the Giro, but I don't think there'll be any expectations there from from the team. Perhaps he he may or may not be putting some pressure on himself to perform, but I I would suspect it's just a case of get back and in, into racing and 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 see where he where he's at. Like it has been, you know, a, a tumultuous time for him, and he's had a ban and all the sort of. Um, yeah, we've already touched on it, but you know, all, all the, um, knock on effects from, from that crash that, that happened last, last summer. Do we want to talk
4: about, uh, who we think is going to win the race? Cause that's always fun.
0: I think we should pick favorites. I think we should pick, uh, a head and a heart pick, and I think we should start with
2: shoddy. Ha ha pick, not so much for the win. Cause I can't see a win coming from him. Unfortunately though, I'd love to be proved, be proven wrong. Ha is definitely Hugh he's been knocking on the door of getting a, a, a massive result for a long time. Yeah. Third at the well last year was superb considering how last year panned out. And as all, as we heard from all the riders last year was absolutely savage racing. But head, I'm saying, I'm going to say Almeida just because of, he has, he is proving this year is, he, he, he seems to be hitting well above his weight and the team does look solid. There's some absolutely stellar riders on there. Like another lad from the north, James Knox. I think he got like 14th last year at the Giro. He's got an 11th at the Vuelta, so he knows how to handle himself at a Grand Tour as well. As a domestique in the mountains, them two are going to be, yeah, something to go up against, I would have thought. You look at the statistics and there's a lot of, a hell of a lot of young lads in the peloton. This year, um, so I, I don't know if it's a change of the guard or something, but I think it's going to be them two together, young guns going up the road. I'm looking forward to it. So Almeida for the head, Q Cathy for the heart.
0: All right, I got heart pick, George Bennett. I would love to see George Bennett win a Grand Tour. That would be, while well, he's the New Zealand national champion as well, I mean. And head pick, I'm going to go Jai Hindley.
4: Australian listeners will be pleased.
0: Yeah, we got to cater to them a little bit, you know. It's like half of our fan base.
4: I feel for Hindley because he's coming in as the second, you know, guy who was second last year, and there's just not nearly as much fanfare about him as you'd expect from a runner-up. I think he's going to need to prove it against this field before we start talking about him as the as as somebody who's up there in that top favorites conversation. But he'll have a chance this year, so that'll be cool, and hopefully he can do something.
0: Who's your pick, Dane?
4: The head picks Egan Bernal. I think Egan Bernal at his best easily wins this race. And even at maybe 95%, he still wins the race. So it's just a question of is he at 95%? Maybe even if he's at 90%, he can win this race. So I think Egon Bernal is the head pick. He is also the hard pick. I really want to see him get back to his best. I think it'd be really great for the sport if Egon Bernal was the Egon Bernal we saw win the Tour de France. Uh, He was, he's a great champion. He's a really uh, likable winner of races. Uh, He's great in interviews and he speaks several languages so he's really good across multiple different media outlets and it would be great drama at the Ineos Grenadiers if Egan Bernaldi could, could get back to his very best and then he would have not five Grand Tour contenders but but six Grand Tour contenders on the same team
0: and, I wonder and, if they would send him to the tour
4: I think they totally Maybe. would and so I'd love to see him win the Giro and create that extra question mark uh, so he's both my head and my heart pick I would love to see him win and I, and I also think he will
0: win Last but not least, Ronan, what have you got?
4: Well, it,
3: are, are we going for different picks here, or can I re-pick someone else?
0: You can re-pick, although it is it is kind of cool that at this point, like three of us have picked, and we've not said we've not overlapped anyone because I think there are a lot more contenders of this race than we than we you would have thought.
3: I, I'm not even sure why I asked that question because I'm gonna go <laughs> with different picks anyway, but. <laughs> 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 but my, my head says Simon Yates based on his performances in the Tour of Alps and his experience from the Giro three years ago uh, and the fact that he, you know, he, he moved on from that Giro disappointment to win the Vuelta uh, and, you know, he's now come back, I suppose, to the, to the Giro trying to, trying to achieve what he came so close to doing three years ago. Uh, so my head says uh, Simon Yates. My heart, I'm going to go with Mikel Landa just to, just to you know, prove Dane wrong and, and get him on, on the podium there. Right, right. And if he's going to go for the podium, he may as well go right for the very top step. You know, he, he has to go on the attack. So it's more likely that it will end up in the top step or nowhere. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go with a hard pick from Mikel Landa.
0: Before we dive into this week's Nerd Nugget, this week's episode is also brought to you by Visit Galena. Tucked into the corner of Northwest Illinois is a cyclist paradise. Imagine an area rich in rolling country roads, fresh air, and uninterrupted miles. A few hours' drive from Chicago, Galena Country is known for its well-preserved 19th century charm, picturesque landscape, and welcoming community. Discover hundreds of miles of shapely farmland, winding gravel roads, and lush forests with the grand finale of the majestic Mississippi River. Taste and tour your way through alluring wineries, a distillery, and craft breweries. Fuel up on the way as rural Galena country boasts some of the area's best culinary fortunes. After a day of endless rollers and miles of exquisite landscape, revel in a Euro-style plaza with dining and live music on Galena's Main Street. Tantalize your taste buds with gourmet popcorn, locally roasted coffee, hand-dipped chocolates. Mm Mm-mm while exploring unique boutiques. In Galena country, our buildings may be frozen in time, but everything else is always moving. You'll find us running or biking, skiing down hills, gliding through trees, or paddling on the water. There's nothing passive about us, unless you're active in the pursuit of relaxation. We may be old, but we're never the same old thing. Let the planning begin at visitgalena.org. That's visitgalena, G-A-L-E-N-A, .org. And thank you so much to Galena Country for sponsoring this episode.
3: Nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd alert, nerd
1: alert. James, nerd
0: what alert, kind of fun nerd techie nerd, nerd facts do you have for us today?
1: Uh well, I just got back from 4 days in Moab. Uh I'm one of my favorite mountain biking spots and it was a rather well, I, it was it was a bit of an unseasonally unseasonably warm weekend. Uh it was it was hot. And definitely after a few of the rides, I was, uh, I, I would say several of us were probably bordering on heat exhaustion because <laughs> just with the intense sun and the heat and everything. But um, but there were a lot of discussion among uh, our, my little crew out there about sweat uh, and then kind of just talking about like, you know, how much sodium do you add in? How much water do you add in and stuff like that? And it, it reminded me that I had actually done a test with Alan Lim, who was uh, one of the co-founders of Scratch, uh, I did a test with him years ago that looked at what my my fluid loss rate was and how much sodium is in my sweat, um, and that was pretty eye-opening to me because it told me that uh, it just confirmed yet another level of my mediocrity that my sweat is just perfectly average. Um, but the the test that he did was pretty cool in that it, it was it's basically something that is used in cystic fibrosis because. Um, sodium sodium levels in your in your sweat is i guess, uh it's some kind of indicator for um, some kind of indicator for for uh for treatment i guess um but yeah so thats sort of that sort of test has always been available to people for quite a long time, although it's you know having someone do this test for you for the purposes of evaluating your sweat is maybe an unusual thing to ask someone who's normally looking at cystic fibrosis. Um, but recently, Gatorade came out with this thing called the GX Sweat Patch, um, which is basically the exact same thing that Alan Lim was doing in more of a lab setting. Um, and these are just like stick-on patches that you just slap on your arm. And it, it they measure your, your fluid loss rate and then they measure your sodium, uh, like sodium content in that sweat. And it gives you a little bit more of an indication as to how much... Salt, you actually have to, have to have in your energy drink to kind of keep things balanced. Because, you know, with the Giro coming up, one of the things that reminded me as well was that, you know, we've seen some really hot Giros in the past. And going along with that, you know, we're all used to seeing riders who have like, you know, tons of salt caked in their jerseys and shorts and that sort of thing. Um, but then there are other people who just don't, you know, even if they sweat a lot, they may not have those salt lines, or you may have people who just don't really sweat that much. Again, like I said, I'm very average. Um, but uh, but it looks like you can use these Gatorade patches. They're not terribly inexpensive. They're like 25 bucks for two of them. Um, but you can use these Gatorade patches on your on, on a ride, on a particularly strenuous ride. And you can then find out empirically how much sodium is in your sweat and you can figure out from there how to balance out your your energy drink mixes to really keep things even handed what during your ride partially to kind of just you know maintain your performance but it also uh can help you keep, help keep you from cramping which is a huge thing that a lot of us deal with
2: sorry did you just say $25 for two patches
1: yes i did
2: see that seems pretty pricey if you're going to use them on like Quite regular basis, I would have thought. well, no, but the the
1: thing is you don't use them for on a regular basis. you just you you use them just to kind of give yourself some information on what your sweat profile looks like. And then from there, the idea is once you know if you are a particularly heavier sweater, for example, then you know that you maybe have to drink a little bit more than average. Or if you, if you find out that you lose an unusual amount of sodium in your sweat, then you, need, then you know at that point that you should just be adding more sodium to your drink mixes to keep everything balanced. So it's not something that you have to do on every ride or anything. It just provides you information to, so that you can figure it out moving forward.
2: Fair enough. I forgive you then, James. $25 doesn't sound too shabby then.
1: I mean, compared to like going into a doctor's office or something like that, it sounds pretty cheap, actually. I mean, I, I have no I have no doubt that Gatorade is probably making a fair bit of money on these things, um, considering the, the technology is pretty well established, I believe. And these, again, like, you know, mass production, the production cost of these things cannot be very expensive. Um, but I think for a lot of people who deal with cramping and deal with a lot of um, performance issues and hot weather related to, you know, uh, fluid loss and uh, and salt loss and that sort of thing. And then that sort of thing could provide some good information if you don't feel like going into a doctor's office.
3: I, I haven't seen these, James. Do you send the sensor off, or how how do you how do you
1: work out from the sensor what what your sweat rate is? It's twenty twenty one, Ronan. and you use an app, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, there's you you can there's a there's like a little like sort of like a squiggly line that. Shows you how like how much fluid you're you're losing, relatively speaking. It just gives you a relative amount, um, and then you judge the the amount of sodium in in the sweat by the color. Um, there's like a little color changing section, and yeah, you just evaluate it based on your uh, on on an app. Um, so it's seemingly pretty simple. I have not tried it, um, uh, Kaylee. If you're listening to this podcast, maybe I should expense twenty five dollars and see how this thing works. Um, but uh, but it seems pretty cool and, and again like i said i mean i i went through the test myself with with alan years ago now um and it did provide really good information and it, it for me it basically just confirmed what i kind of already knew anyway uh but for people who are trying to figure figure out you know maybe some some again like performance issues and hot weather particularly that sort of thing could provide some really good information without having to go into an office somewhere
3: yeah and i assume that gatorade then have a a range of drinks that you know depend on how, how your style of sweating which drink would match your requirements best then uh
1: you know that is a good question uh i i mean as far as i can tell i'm not super up to date on what gatorade offers because i mean for me uh gatorade typically has like just too much other junk in it that i don't really want for my uh for my riding needs um but as far as i remember they have kind of like the, well hold on let's take a look here they have the original Gatorade Thirst Quencher. They have the Zero. They have lower sugar. So these are basically just ones with have like, I think maybe has like stevia or some other artificial sweeteners. Uh, oh, they, of, co- they are, of course have organic Thirst Quencher. Um, juice blend, antioxidant. So no, they actually, they do not have a specific pre-made drink with varying levels of salt content, but they do have electrolyte powder blends that you can, I mean, my guess is you could probably mix them into different varieties or different concentrations if you wanted to alter that. But for me, I mean, I would be more inclined to use these sweat patches to alter the formulas for what I'm already using, uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to keep everything in the Gatorade family. Because for me, like, I don't know too many I don't know too many enthusiast cyclists who use Gatorade branded stuff on a regular basis. Again, like I said, for me, there's just way too much other junk in it. Team Sky, officially, officially. Mm-hmm. Do you think they actually really use Gatorade in those bottles? I didn't think so at the time, but I don't know. I, I would like to see I would <laughs> like to see someone hanging out around the Swanieres before a stage of the Giro, and I would like to. See and hear, like the little cracking of the little plastic safety seal thing on those plastic Gatorade bottles as the swineers dump the pre-made Gatorade into those bottles. I
2: don't think it happens. Hey, Let's be honest. They're not scared of um, not polluting the size of them cars that they're driving around. A couple of extra bottles of Gatorade. A lot of extra bottles of Gatorade on a regular basis ain't going to make any difference.
1: Well, no, they they provide them in those, and I'm, I'm sure Gatorade provides it pre-made in like those giant orange cooler tub things that, that you see at like football and stuff like that. And for sure, no question, if if the team wins a stage or something like that, you're gonna see the, the whole thing dumped on dumped onto the onto someone's head.
2: It does seem that Gatorade are kind of going into this thing half cocked. They're giving you the giving you the device to check what you. are sodium levels are, and then not giving you the, the product to actually be able to go out and rectify the situation. So where, where should you be going to look for it then? Where, who would be able to help you out beyond that then?
3: Well, that's actually why I, I brought up the question about did it link back to Gatorade products? Because if it gives, you know, uh, the, the app, if it gives you an insight into what your sweat rates is, and then you can take that and apply it to whatever drink you use, then, you know, happy days but if it just says you should drink such and such of gatorade uh drink then it might not be that useful but you know in terms of how actually useful this could be you know a, a tiny drop off in hydration levels can result in a huge decrease in performance so you know and, and th- it is it is highly highly important uh to keep on top of of hydration but uh I, i'd be quite keen to check out. i hadn't heard of it previously so it, it sounds quite interesting and i think there is other the reason i asked you do you have to send it away I, i'm pretty sure there is another service out there on on the internets where they send you a a, a, a test package and you complete a couple of tests it's like a ph strip or something i think and then you post it off and they then give you a report you know on what you should be looking for on your drinks in your bottle but uh yeah I'm, I'm not sure if this works the same well we, we know it, uses an app, so it doesn't work exactly the same way, but I'm not sure how much information it actually gives a user.
1: I'm not sure how much information is really required. I mean, Ronan, you might have you know, better insight onto this, but again, the, the, two, the two bits of info that it provides is, again, how much fluid loss you get and then how, what the salt concentration is relative in that fluid. Uh, my understanding is the, the, that Gatorade app, it gives you some, some guidelines or recommendations based on what the findings are, um, but again, because this is kind of all within the Gatorade family, it probably just tells you to drink more Gatorade. Um, <laughs> but I know like when I did the test with Alan, his results were, were, were more precise. Um, you know, it was, you know, kind of down to like milligrams and that sort of thing. Um, and you know, from there he used that more as a way to calculate a little, you know, certainly more precisely, like how much, like how many scoops of powder you'd put in, and like how much you would want to adjust the salt concentrations in your, in each bottle so that things were really balanced. Um, it, so not surprisingly, you know, that approach I feel like was a little bit more precise and and a little bit more scientific. Um, but I, I do still think even in relative terms, this still would provide some good information. And what I like about it is that assuming it works as advertised anyway, what I like about it is I, I haven't seen another solution that is such like a off the shelf turnkey sort of thing. Uh it, it seems quite foolproof. Um I mean again, it may not provide super, super detailed information, but that's not necessarily what everyone needs either.
3: Mm, and just thinking off the top of my head as well, just that, you know, we often think about the performance loss of dehydration, but there's actually quite a lot of dangers from overhydrating as well. And, you know, that that's one of the uh you know, look as sport is a similar brand to, to Gatorade and, and one of the Reasons I was explained not to use lecosate sport or similar drinks you know and 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 bike racing is that they can be so strong that they can actually draw uh water out of your cells to to break them down and you know effectively dehydrate you even even further um so yeah you know it it seems like the simple answer is to drink more and drink more hydration salts, but you know ov- obviously it's not not just as simple as that and and an app like this, as you said, straight off the shelf and, and super easy, uh, <laughs> could, uh, yeah, you know, just having that understanding and that knowledge is, is going to be
1: vitally important. Yeah, like one of the guys on this trip that I was on this weekend and he, he, he was literally taking salt packets from, I think, it seemed like he was maybe stealing them from restaurants. I couldn't tell exactly, but he was literally taking salt packets and just like dumping them down his throat because, and and he was saying that like, you know, Hey, like, you know, no one ever complained that they had too much salt in their, in their drink mix or something. And like, that's actually not really true. Um, but
0: actually scratch lab makes like an extra sodium. They do drink mix. That is so salty. And I've never once used it on the bike, but it is a fantastic hangover. <laughs> I
1: mean, I've, I've used that for, for, I guess, pre-ride for pre-ride bottle. Um, but I've n- definitely never used it during, during the ride. Um, yeah. And like, like you said, Abby, that stuff is super, super salty, but they're, they're pretty clear that they don't want you to use it during the ride either. I mean, I think very, very few people would, would lose that much sodium during a ride.
3: Well, I have a story about my daughter. A couple, couple of weeks ago, she got we had to store our salt in the in the pestle and mortar because the salt grinder got a bit wet and wasn't working with the dried out. And she got up on the counter and got a spoonful of salt, uh swallowed it and immediately threw up everywhere. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> So yeah, too much salt is not good. <laughs> it was one oh. of those things that happened in slow motion. We could just see the spoon coming up, but we couldn't reach it in time. And uh yeah. Yeah. It was uh, nasty, nasty results.
2: She learned that wasn't sugar then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, is that it? Is that all we got today? That
1: is all we've got. To, that's, that's all we've got today. That, I, I've been sitting around waiting all this time to release that little bit of, that little bit of information.
2: <laughs> that little nerd nut. Do yet? you know what? I'd love that app to actually tell you is that it, it goes right. This is your sodium intake. You need to, because as we all know, the only time you drink Gatorade is when you stop at a garage, when you're bonking it in the world big style so I'd love it if it said this is your sodium levels you need to stop at Greg's garage here uh, (laughs) highway 74 like it starts beeping at you it just tells you that these are the garages you've got to stop on along the way to get the right amount of sodium in you and also pick up a bit of beef jerky just to be on the safe side
0: anyway (laughs) that's all we got for today (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the Cycling Tips podcast we will be back in your ears next week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Awesome.